Hey guys, David Reeves here. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Hope you enjoy. And remember, you can catch a new episode every Wednesday at noon central on all your streaming devices. Most of these podcasts have visuals, so if you want to see the entire video, check them out at creationsuperstore.com. They're available on DVD or digital download. All right, let's get to it. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. In each episode, we talk about breaking discoveries in science, which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Check out our other resources at davidreeves.com. Sign up for email updates to have encouraging nuggets sent straight to your inbox. Subscribe to our free monthly magazine and like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible. Can we biblically calculate the age of the earth? What does secular science say? Joining me for this conversation, I brought in a guest and friend, Paul Taylor. Let's find out more right now on Wonders Without Number. Welcome to Wonders Without Number. I'm David Reeves, and today we want to inform and inspire you regarding the wonders that we find all around us. An infinite number of wonders that point us directly to our Creator, the God of the Bible. You know, God's fingerprint can be found everywhere we look, from the farthest galaxy in the cosmos to the microscopic world of genetics and DNA. And ultimately, all scientific fields are drawing us closer to an understanding that the universe shows design and not accidental chance. That's exactly what God's Word says. That includes you and me. You are wonderfully made, not cosmic accidents, the result of an expansion of space-time billions of years ago. We want to give you the tools that you need to defend your Christian faith, and we're going to kick it off right now with today's Heavens Declare as we discuss the Lake Missoula Flood. Why should you believe in creation and not evolution? I mean, scientifically speaking. Haven't we proven that evolution is a fact? Well, when most people hear the term evolution, they think of one kind of an animal turning into another kind of an animal. This is biological evolution, and it's just one of several different kinds of evolution. You know, another kind is geological evolution. Now, this is the idea that the Earth is billions of years old, and that the rock layers and other geological features are the result of gradual processes over millions and millions of years. But you see, this is an important foundation to biological evolution, because without millions of years, there's no way that evolution could ever take place. In fact, the geological ages had already been proposed and were used by Darwin to come up with his theories of biological evolution. Now you see, since the 19th century, uniformitarianism has dominated geology. This is the idea that present-day processes and rates are the key to what happened in the past. But you see, scientists are slowly having to let go of this idea because they increasingly realize that catastrophes are a big part of Earth's past. One such catastrophe 
was called the Lake Missoula Flood. Now, because we begin with different starting points, creationists and evolutionary geologists, they don't agree on the dating of this flood, but both agree that it happened and that it happened relatively recently in the past. Actually, for evolutionary geologists, it took them a long time to accept despite the overwhelming evidence because it seemed too biblical to have a catastrophe of such massive proportions. So what was this flood? Well, you see, within a few centuries of the global flood of Noah's day, there was an ice age, which is where cavemen come into the picture. But at the peak of the ice age, approximately 540 cubic miles of water were dammed up in Lake Missoula in Montana. Now that's a long ways from here but that's three times the volume of Lake Erie. So eventually the lake burst, rushing 400 feet deep as it carved its way towards the Pacific Ocean, not too far from here. The fast moving water quickly laid down rock layers and it carved out canyons, including Grand Coulee, which is a canyon 50 miles long and 900 feet deep. The beautiful channeled scablands are a further testament to how much damage a lot of fast moving water can do. Now, secular geologists believe that the rock layers are laid down slowly over millions and millions of years and that canyons are carved over time by rivers. But that wasn't the case with much of the geography of the western United States here. It was carved rapidly by a flood of water from a burst glacial lake. And I've talked to PhD evolutionary geologists most trained geologists agree that it happened extremely quickly and it created things just like the beautiful Multnomah Falls that we see right behind us. Now, if the comparatively small flood, such as the Lake Missoula flood, could do so much damage and completely change the landscape, well then imagine what the global flood described in Genesis could do. Well, actually, if there was a global flood, then everywhere we look, we would expect to see miles of rock layers filled with billions and billions of fossils. And this is exactly what we find. You see, the evidence points to a flood of biblical proportions, not slow and gradual processes over millions of years. You know, that's just one more scientific reason that you shouldn't believe in evolutionary geology. It takes a lot of faith. I'm David Reeves, truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Our testimonial today comes from Mary who writes, I'm not usually good at articulating what is in my mind. The creation in the 21st century show has helped me learn about the flood, archeological finds, and overall evidence that I can cite regarding how God created the earth and everything in it. I feel that everyone would benefit from watching the show, accessing your online resources, and reading the Creation Club magazine. I recommend the show to anyone and everyone, especially my pastors. I love the Creation in the 21st Century show, which I watch every week on TBN. It is fascinating, and I learn a great deal. Thank you, Mary, for saying that. Uh, Creation in the 21st Century, we're on our seventh season now. Uh, we've had some of the top minds on as guests, and every week we discuss these things. It airs every Saturday on Trinity Broadcasting Network. Uh, also, you mentioned some of our other resources. Be sure to sign up for our free email updates, where every week uh, we bring you a, a new video on science and the Bible. Easily, quickly distilling these things so that anyone can grasp it. And not only can you grasp it, but we also want to be able to present this when maybe we're confronted with a skeptic who asks us questions about these things. And now let's meet my guest. 
Paul Taylor is director of Strong Tower Ministries. Originally from the UK, Paul does an excellent job analyzing Darwin's life and legacy. He's the author of the book, Where Birds Eat Horses, and has led hundreds of tours to Mount St. Helens, studying the impact and environmental regrowth that took place after its eruption in 1980. Thank you for joining me, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You know, today's topic, we want to talk just a little bit about creation, and so often that's where we find ourselves. But also, can you trust the Word of God when it gives us the history of the universe? Is it authoritative? And can you deduce from that the age of the Earth? Well, it is authoritative. Okay. And, uh, you know, Jesus treated it as historical fact. Okay. And this is, this is a problem for many um, Christians today who want to both believe the Bible and uh, believe the theory of evolution, believing it's somehow that this has been scientifically proven, that the, uh, uh, the dates of uh, millions and billions of years has somehow been scientifically proven. It's a problem then when they see uh, Jesus endorsing uh -huh. what uh, was written in Genesis and not allowing for that vast time span because it really means that they've got to find some sort of theology that enables them to say, well, Jesus was just speaking to a primitive people and he wasn't really meaning that's the way it is, uh. but he was trying to use words they would understand. I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. These things are either true or not. Jesus said many things which uh, were counter to his culture at the mm -hmm. time. Uh, if he wanted to be counter to the culture at the time, he would certainly have said so. So the fact that he is using the biblical timescale uh, is uh, endorsing the fact that the biblical timescale is the correct one. And not only that, but saying basically, paraphrasing, if you can't believe what Moses wrote about me, then, yes. then why should you believe me? Moses was actually writing about me in the beginning, That's which is correct. very important implications as well. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, okay, so secular science. We're talking about earlier than high school. Uh, you're going to be told that the universe is approximately 14 billion years old. Then yes. you're going to be told that the solar system formed about 4.5 billion years ago. And then you're going to be told that life forms started originating from uh, spontaneously generating, basically, and eventually evolved to humans and all of the different yes. animals that we see today, that we're nothing more than mere animals. How do secular scientists arrive at the dates of 14 billion years, 4.5 billion years, and so forth? I've sometimes wondered whether they shake a few dice, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was actually reminded of that just, it, uh, um, just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was writing some scripts uh, for radio scripts and uh, came across two articles on the same popular science website mm -hmm. on the same day, published with the same date, okay. with different ages for the universe. Wow. One was confirming the currently traditional date, which is 13.7 billion years old. Now, I used to teach in public schools back in England, yeah. things that, that you would call public schools. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, the textbooks, I, I finished teaching at the end of 1999. The textbooks at that time were saying that the universe was 12.3 billion years old. 
So in the last 21 years, the universe has got 1.4 billion years older. On the same site? On the same website, <laughs> on the same day. Okay. One group of scientists saying the universe is definitely 13.7 billion years old. Another group saying it's 12.3 billion years old. You have to suppose that there is some problem there at the yeah. least. Now, how they get those dates is a little bit more complex. But when you're dealing with the millions of years of things in... Uh, Earth history that they like to talk about. What they're actually looking for is some sort of physical process. It could be a chemical process, but it's usually a physical process, which is changing. Okay. So you can measure how fast it's changing. You can okay. measure the rate at which it changes, and uh, you can look. Uh, you can take measurements of things today using that. Um, rate of change then you can extrapolate back and that gives them a calculation a lot of people think that they've measured the date or something right. they haven't they've done it by a calculation they have done perfectly legitimate measurements here okay but they've extrapolated it back interesting you're talking about things like radiometric data exactly but there are one or two others as well one of the interesting things is of course that uh, if you take all the possible um, physical changes and chemical changes that could take place, probably uh, something like about 90% of those uh, uh, rates that you would do deal with, those calculations, would not give an age sufficient for the evolution of life. They would not give uh, those billions of years that we're talking about. Okay. Now, that's not to say that they're giving you a biblical age. They're yep. not. They're giving you limiting ages. Um, you know, um, one that's more in your field than mine, but it, you know, the sort of rotation of spiral galaxies. Yeah. I understand that uh, uh, it, clearly a spiral is going to unwind as it's rotating. Yeah. Uh, the, the, that, that's just the nature of things. Um, you can show that no galaxy, therefore, by rotation should be more than a million years old. Mm -hmm. Now, I would not use that to say that the universe is a million years old. That's a limiting age. It's a limiting age, that's okay. right. Uh, uh, and 90% uh, of these physical processes have, uh, have limits which are incompatible with evolutionary theory. To which most of the evolutionists that I know have attempted to come up with a rescuing device, yes. uh, such as gravitational waves. Somehow, yes. these spiral galaxies must maintain their shapes for yes. billions of years because we all know that the universe is billions of well, years old. Well, that's it. And of course, that's what they're doing. They're starting with their assumption and they're trying to fit things in to mm. do that. Even when you talk about the millions of years, uh, which sounds a little bit briefer than the billions of years, the millions yeah. of years of certain evolution, um, that those millions of years were decided on before they invented radiometric dating. But the radiometric dating experiments were then developed to, uh, that gave the same sort of dates. Hi, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. Like what you're seeing? You can find so much more on the Creation Superstore. You'll find over a thousand books, DVDs, and other quality resources on origin science, creation, and Bible history. Whether you're looking for nature documentaries, educational books, homeschool resources, or children's videos, we've got it all, so be sure to head over and check it out. Use this special promo code to receive 10% off your first order. But this is where, you know, radiometric dating is not that difficult to understand. And I like to illustrate it with an hourglass, you know, okay. and I'll have an hourglass on the uh, desk and you can see sand falling from the top to the bottom. And then I'll, I'll, I'll wind the audience up a bit if I'm doing a talk and I'll say, you know, how, how could you calculate how long that's been going? 
and you know eventually I'll get that there's three measurements to take the amount you can measure the amount of sand in the top mm -hmm. you can measure the amount of sand in the bottom and you can measure how fast the sand is falling from the top to the bottom yeah. and I'll say so and by that you can calculate what time I started the hourglass to go in can't you mm -hmm. you know and I'll say it nodding my head like mm -hmm. that and of course they all agree and then mm -hmm. I say no you can't <laughs> because you don't know that all the sand was in the top when I started it Right. And you don't know that while you weren't looking, I didn't take the hourglass and shake it to make some sand go through faster. And you right. don't know that while you weren't looking, I didn't open it up and pour some more sand in. Mm -hmm. Radiometric dating, for example, you might look at how fast uranium is turning into lead. Okay. Uh, I know the math is a bit more complex because it's an exponential sure. decay rather than a linear decay. But uranium turns into lead. We do have a measurement called Half-Life, which gives you an idea of how fast the uranium is turning to lead. Okay. And so they use that to calculate how old the rock is by measuring the amount of uranium, the amount of lead. But they've made three assumptions. So they're measuring the ratios extremely accurately. And they're good scientists. Okay. Their apparatus is good. They've done this carefully. They've got their ratios. Yeah. Now Their problem is the assumptions. assumptions. They have to make assumptions because they weren't there when the rock was formed. Okay. So they have to assume that there was no lead in that rock. Okay. That all the lead in the rock has come from the radioactive decay of uranium. They can't prove that. Mm -hmm. How do you know there's no naturally occurring lead, if you like, you know, that was there separately? Okay. Secondly, they have to assume that at no time has any lead been removed from the rock or added to the rock. Since lead compounds are fairly soluble in water, mm -hmm. you can't imagine a rock sitting around for several million years without mm -hmm. water having washed some of the lead away. Right. And thirdly, they have to assume that the rate at which the uranium turns into lead has not changed. There they say, well, we've got you there, the half-life is constant. But today we have strong reasons to believe that the half-life of many radioactive uh, 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 substances has in fact not been constant, but has changed in the past. If you were to ask any nuclear engineer, uh, intellectually honest nuclear engineer, they will tell you climate change affects the radiometric decay rates. Yes. All right. Uh, now, now was, was there any major climate change mentioned in the Bible? Um, <laughs> Genesis chapter uh, oh, 6, is oh, it? A uh, flood. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Global climate change. Yes. Okay. Now, we don't know exactly what the effects are, and there are many models that are being developed to try to explain this. Nevertheless, there are assumptions involved in radiometric. Now, let's talk about one particular type of dating, carbon-14 dating. And you mentioned upper limits, all right? So break this down. What's the half-life of carbon-14? Well, the half-life of carbon-14, if I can remember this correctly, is approximately 6,000 years. Yeah. Um, however, most people don't understand carbon dating. Okay. They think it's something that's simply given them a measurement. And uh, I know that serious evolutionists must put their head in their hands when people say this, but you see this on uh, people who don't know about the science they're talking about, maybe on a news interview or something like that, they'll say, well, surely these dinosaur fossils have been carbon dated to give you a, an age of 65 million years old. Mm -hmm. And you can probably see poor old Richard Dawkins putting his face in his hands <laughs> at that, because he wouldn't make that mistake. Mm -hmm. But the popular view is that everything's been carbon dated. Yeah. Now in practice, 
a limit on uh, radioactive decay is approximately 10 half-lives. Okay. Statistically, after 10 half-lives, you shouldn't have a measurable amount left. So carbon dating shouldn't give you an age older than 60,000 years. Maybe you can stretch it a bit to about 100,000 years, but even if carbon dating were true, and even if the world were that old, yeah. which we don't accept, but even if it were, you would not get more than 100,000 years. So carbon dating, basically, even given all of the assumptions involved, actually gives an upper limit on anything that you find detectable amounts of carbon-14 in at 60 to 100,000 years yes. maximum. It means it's yeah. less than that. And yet, haven't we found measurable amounts of carbon-14 in things like coal and, and diamonds. even diamonds. Yes, and that's the interesting thing. Coal, perhaps, you could understand to a certain extent because yeah. we think that's been living, and carbon-14 dating is for things that have been living. Mm -hmm. uh, diamonds, they assume, haven't been living, yeah. and uh, you can radiometrically date uh, diamonds to be about a billion years old by radiometric dating not carbon-14, a different radiometric dating, um, and then you, you will find that they shouldn't therefore have carbon-14 in them. Okay. Well, you can actually measure carbon-14 in them and get a, a, a carbon-14 date of about 80,000 years. All right, so there are major uh, assumptions involved with the millions and the billions of years. Correct. Usher made a famous calculation about the age of the Earth. Yes. What was that? Well, it's perfectly justified to make an assumption Okay. So Usher assumed that the figures given in the Bible are pretty much correct. Okay. And therefore he uh, looked at the genealogies, the, what are called the chronogenealogies of Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. Those genealogies are figures in. Okay. So-and-so begat so-and-so at such and such an age. Ah. So you can plot those in an Excel spreadsheet, for example. Usher yeah. didn't have that, you did it on paper, but you, you could do it quicker today, the yes. same his calculation. And then when you've got to the end of Genesis 11, you've got up to Abraham, and then you can start looking at other figures in the Bible, such as um, um, the giving of uh, the, the promise to Abraham, and then the Exodus being 430 years after that. Mm -hmm. You could have some doubt over that, which we could mention. There's a sort of plus or minus 215 there. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you add up these dates in the Bible, you come to a date where we know a calendar date for it. Uh, uh, the fall of Jerusalem is a good one. Okay. And so you can then add those numbers together, and you get a figure for the uh, uh, date of creation of approximately just over 4,000 B.C. Okay. About, Usher said 4,004 B.C. Which comes out to approximately 6,000 years. Exactly. All right, but what about the days of creation? Were the six days of creation, were that, was that original creation weak? Could it have been ages? Is it possible? And I would say not, and it's a matter of interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Okay. Uh, because if you look at the rest of the, the Old Testament outside Genesis 1, there is nowhere else in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word for day, which is yom, was ever used with a number to mean anything other than an ordinary day. So, for example, Joshua marches the people around Jericho for seven days. Mm -hmm. uh, it must have been very tiring marching for 7,000 years because right. a day with the Lord's like a thousand years. <laughs> it, it's nonsense, isn't yeah. it? it? It doesn't work. So as soon as you've got a number there, you know you're talking about 24-hour um, days. Okay. And therefore, it must be the same in Genesis 1. You and I did a, a program... Um several years ago called the Hebrew word yom, where That's we right. looked at that. We spent the entire half hour on that. Uh, speaking issue. on that yes. specific issue. Yes. You authored a book, The Six Days of Genesis, 
uh, you look at some of the things that took place during the creation week yes. and the implications of all of this. Yes. Sum it up for us in about a minute. Let's talk about the importance of the age of the earth being able to stand on biblical accuracy. I think it's worth quoting Martin Luther. Yeah because uh, he had a similar problem in his day where some of his followers were saying that the six days were figurative, not of millions of years. They thought it was figurative of an instant. Oh. Uh, but he said, if you can't understand how the six days of creation can really be six days, then at least grant that the Holy Spirit has more wisdom than you. <laughs> Typical blunt Martin Luther, yes. but that is the truth. If you can't cope with the idea of there being six days instead of being millions of years, at least grant that the Holy Spirit is wiser than you than are. You are. And let's start from that. Okay, that e excellent point. I love it. I love your perspective on it. And the more we find within the sci sci science community is actually pointing us right back to what the Absolutely. Bible said to begin Amen. with. Thank you, Paul, for being here and sharing this with us. You know, on day six, man was made in the image of our Creator, fully formed, a genetically perfect, intelligent being. The book of Genesis informs us that God Himself walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, since that time, a lot of things have changed, but He still wants to walk and talk with us by way of the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? You know what? It all begins by talking to Him. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And you can ask for that sacrifice to be applied to your debt. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead to pay for your sins. You know, if you've made that decision, I want you to write us here at David Reeves Ministries. Let us know. We want to offer our support in every way possible. I'm David Reeves, and I want to remind you to keep looking up because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TVN and the Heavens Declare video series. Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.